0: Do you want to... Wait, oh. well, alrighty. How's everyone doing? Yes. See? When it's not in a circle <laughs> format, no one answers back. I knew it. I knew that would happen. Let's, let's try that again. How's everyone doing? Yeah, really good. good. Very good. Much better. Not just you know, animal noises. <laughs> actual responses. Okay, so tonight's topic is a codex, and it's a codex about church and this one is that is dangerous i'm gonna make sure that that's not okay tonight's topic is actually an extremely interesting one if you look into it when i was reading about it and i didn't have enough time to read through everything that i opened i had like a billion tabs which i do whenever i open chrome i just have like a billion tabs and I wished, like, as I started reading and getting into it, I actually wished that I didn't run out of time. I wanted to read more and more and more into it. Because this is an amazing thing that God has set up and this amazing topic to actually study. So what we're going to do tonight, because you can approach it from so many different ways, I'm just going to lay out the groundwork from God's work, for, from God's word, sorry, for what the church is, what, a little bit of background, how it started, why it's here, and why you should be part of it. These are some important questions that we're sort of going to delve into and how the church is seen throughout the Bible and things like that. So, a little bit of background as I was thinking about church, right? When you say church to an outside person, when you say, I'm going to church, right? What do they think of? They think of like a really big cathedral type place, right? With the stained glass windows and then like saints and then probably like some incense and some stuff like that. That's what most people when they say, oh, I'm going to church on a Sunday morning. That's what they imagine, right? Have you ever seen those memes on Facebook with like Batman and Robin and then like Batman slaps Robin? <laughs> like those, they're, they're pretty funny, right? One of them is that just saw last week, which I thought was pretty funny, was Robin saying... I'm going to church, and then Batman slapping him like mid-sentence and saying, You are the church! That's what the, I mean, it, it looks funny, yeah, funny <laughs> you know? but anyway, it's funny. The point is, right, the Bible makes it very clear that this, this building, the physical, is not the church. I'm going to church. No, you are the church, and that's actually a truth. We say, yes, I'm going to, because it's easy for people to understand that we're going to worship together in a place that is designated for worship, and we call that the church, right? But in reality, biblically speaking, the church is something that we're about to find out now. What is it? Ooh. So, a bit more background. Ephesians 1.3 says this. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He sent forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. Wow, that is a lot of text and it sounds really convoluted. And what is being said there? This here is the eternal plan of God from the beginning. And this is actually the foundation of the church, which is not really spoken about very often. You see, if you look from the beginning of time, this verse actually speaks from what God was thinking about before time began. But if we look from the beginning of time, what was God trying to do with this human race, right? What do we say that Christianity is? Is it a religion or a re? Relationship. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love it when people answer. (laughs) Relationship. Right? God is trying to have a relationship with people, with us, with human beings, who He created for relationship, right? And He tries to do this in different ways throughout history. First, Adam and Eve come into the world, and God's like, hey, you're in a relationship with me, If you don't want to upset me, then don't eat of this fruit. It's like one thing. Please don't do it, right? What do they do? They fall. They do that. They do the one thing that they were told not to do, and they're separated from them. But he's still trying to have a relationship with them, right? So he's reaching out to them. Next comes another period of time between Noah and the flood, where God isn't giving laws, but he's letting people's conscience govern them. And they get so evil that He has to wipe them out from the face of the earth. Then comes the time of Abraham, where where God chooses Abraham and He begins to build His people. And then from there comes the law and Moses and then He has Israel. And then Israel begins to be a distinct group of people who God is dealing with. And He's saying, you're my people, I'm your God. We're in a relationship together and everyone around the world who isn't you can see that, right? And then we begin to see a sort of a model and a framework of what's, what God is trying to do. He's trying to be in a specific relationship with people, right? And then he gives them these laws and he's like, keep these and you'll be in a relationship with me and you'll be close to me and I'll love you and you'll love me. And we spoke about Hosea the other day, uh, the other Friday, about the aspect of relationship, right? They fail miserably in every single account. And then comes Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes a way, and this is what this passage is talking about, Jesus makes a way to fulfill what God has been trying to do since before time began. (coughs) Have a genuine, continuous, eternal relationship with people. Because these people had to be perfect, that couldn't happen until that point. But God gave them every chance before that, so that they could see that there is no other way except Jesus, because they've tried everything else. What's God trying to do? He's trying to have a family. Dura just spoke about this. It. He's like, I love that you guys are a family. All of Christianity, everyone who was born of Christ, is born into a family. That's what God has been trying to do this whole time. You see, in prophecy, right, which is a big part of the Bible, you see that in the Old Testament, right? there are so many prophecies about things that are going to happen in the Old Testament itself. And then there are so many prophecies about Jesus. And then there are so many prophecies about everything that happens after the rapture. But then there's this bit in the middle where like, nothing is said about it. Nothing, like no one knew what was going to happen. They all knew that Jesus was going to die and Jesus was going to rise again. And then that He was going to come back. But then, There was a blank space in prophecy about what was going to happen in the middle of that. Then comes the next phase. We've seen from Adam to Israel and to Jesus and then the next phase which is this bit, which is what this verse calls a mystery. That is the church age, the time of the church or the the age of grace it's called in in, uh, depending on who Dispensations, time periods to study the Bible. Anyway, it's called a mystery. Because no one saw it. No one understood it. No one knew how God was going to bring this about, right? But then Paul begins to explain it. And he says, how fortunate are we? How awesome is it that we actually get to live in this time where we have a free-flowing, eternal relationship with God that's already been paid and bought in full. And we get to just enjoy every blessing. And, every, and that's what he just goes through. It's like blessing, riches, honor, grace. And this is, you see it throughout the whole verse. Read it again. When you get I'll put this stuff up, hopefully. And just look at how amazing this is, right? I'll read you the next verse about it. In First Peter uh, 1, verses 10 to 12, he says this, of this salvation. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching of what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating. He was testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels... Desire to look into. That's what we have now. I'm just trying to get you a little bit psyched about the craziness that we are actually experiencing now. Because you take it for granted because you're living in the age of grace. People before you and people who will come after you will envy you. Envied you and will envy you because of where we are now. Because of how amazing God's grace has been poured out on each and every one of us. So what is the church? It's God's family in, in the simplest Way I can put it. It's God's. Now, how is the church viewed in the Bible? And this is, how is the church spoken about in the Bible? And this is where it gets interesting. It's spoken about in three ways. The first way is, uh, actually, well, whatever, I won't say it anymore. first way is emotionally. The church is described as a bride, the bride of Christ, right? There's The really emotional part of the, the relationship we're thinking of a family, so, hey, we love each other, we're a family, that's the emotional part. The <coughs> bride. Right. Then, it's spoken of in a physical sense, as a building. It's not actually spoken of as, like, physically a building, but it's spoken about as a building. And then lastly, it's spoken about as a governing body, well, not a governing body, as like as a household, or something with a structure and rules to it, or a temple, right? Those are the three ways that it's spoken about, predominantly, And we're going to explore each of them in a little bit with a couple of verses now. So first we'll start with physically. The body. Actually, well, I said physically the body, and then physically the body. Whatever, you'll see what I mean. The body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-14 to 14 says this, For just as the body is one, and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one number, a uh, one member, but of many. All right? As the church, and there are different passages that speak about this. We all have different gifts. And we all have different things that we can do for God. And, we, and God has made it that way on purpose. We're not all a thumb. We're not all an eye. We're not all a toe. We're different parts of the body that make up the body. With the head being Christ. The controlling agent being Christ. But everything else works together following this head. And doing, supposed to be doing what this head directs. And that's Christ. Now, if you look at the body, and this is something I was thinking about when I was coming over, how much of it do you see? Like you see the outside of me, right? But how much more is there on the inside of me? I wouldn't you wouldn't see the outside if the inside didn't exist, right? Not everyone. so, everyone's like, oh, what's a Christian supposed to look like? Billy Graham, bam, in the spotlight, in front of thousands of people, preaching Christ, yeah! Billy Graham would not be up there without all the people who were praying for him, without all the people who were funding him, without all of the people, without the first person who initially just walked up to Billy Graham, by the way, and sat down with him and said, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Nobody knows that person's name, but you see God knows that person's name and God will reward that person as much if not more than Billy Graham because he brought Billy Graham to Christ. But you see, Billy Graham, you see, in the church, the person who stacks the chairs is just as important to God as the person who stands up here to preach. I want to make that very clear. We have different roles, not better or worse roles, we have different, Roles And we all work together as a body to do the will of the head. That's what being the church is about. The church is a cohesive body. You see, what happened is, Paul was speaking once and he's like, there are people who say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Jesus Christ or I am, everybody has kind of taken a little side, a little chunk of teaching and said, this one is mine, I belong to this area of Christianity, and then taken it away and said, this is my church. Which church do you go to? That is rubbish. There's no such thing as which church do you go to? Batman, slap. No. No. We're doing the exact thing that Paul said not to do. I think it was Paul, was it Peter? Was it? I think the I'm of Paul, I'm... Anyway, look, I'll look it up and I think it was Paul. The point is this, when God, it, every time He's speaking about this body, He's saying it's one thing. There are many members of it, but it's one thing. It's always meant to be viewed as a cohesive thing. But we've gone, as humans, and we've taken little chunks of it that we've liked and that we think makes sense, And then we've grouped ourselves and then we've said, This is my church. No, the church is Christ's. The church is belongs to the head and is led by that head. Right? We have differing opinions and that's fine. But we can't say, I'm not speaking to this branch of the church. I'm not speaking to there's no branches. It's one thing. Somebody asks you, What church do you go to? You, uh, that question is, is, is just a silly one to me. But when somebody asks me that, I'm following Christ. Who do you follow? I'm following Jesus Christ. What teaching, what doctrine do you follow? Here it is. I follow what Jesus said. Everything is made clear and plain here in the guidebook, the manual. I don't need to read about Calvin. I don't need to read about all these other factions. It's here. They help make it clearer and they present a point of view. Great. But the ultimate source is here. Who do you follow? Which church do you go to? Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Now, that's the body, right? What comes next? I'm going to check my notes. The emotional side comes next. The bride, right? And let's see this verse. Matthew 28... 18 to 20, says this. And Jesus... Oh, no, it's not this big. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church... To himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. She, she, her, her. Terms of affection. Husbands, setting up the ultimate model of love between a husband and a wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's your standard of love. It's important to understand that God doesn't just see us as an organization or just as a body. Well, what, the, what does that mean? We all have different roles and we're all little worker bees. And... No, we're His bride. We're the love of His life. We're the apple of His eye. We are the group of people, individually and together, that He died to save. He loves us beyond anything that we could comprehend. It's really important to understand... Yes, God views us as a body and yes, God wants us to be cohesive and yes, God wants us to think and move together in one direction as He leads. But He also wants us to understand how loved we are. What's the last one? By the way, these are broad headings. There are like more ways and things in the Bible, but these are the main headings. The last one is uh, like governmentally, like in a house setting, right? House has rules. You don't just do whatever you want in a family. A family has rules and has standards. right? And that's made very clear in the Bible. And that's something that's kind of being overlooked in some places. Now. It's like, do whatever you want, it's a church. Yeah, we're praising God. There are actual guidelines set in the Bible for how to conduct yourself in the house of God. That's actually made very clear. So in Ephesians 2, 19-22... "...in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit." I'm going to read that again, just so that it can actually sink in. Focus, listen. "...so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints." and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's describing like literally kind of architectural images there, right? You're a building, there are foundations, Christ is the cornerstone, the capstone, the one that the whole building hinges on, and you are bricks that fit into this building and that make it up, and when you make it up, it becomes a habitation, a place for God to dwell, where two or three are gathered, there I am where? In their midst. God dwells with us, We say, yes, when we pray at the start of the meeting, we say, thank you, Lord, for being here. We know that you're here with us because he is in the midst of his church. So as a house, right, when you look at it from the outside, it's one thing. It's one house. But the house is made of so many different little bricks put together. So we as the church, we're the church individually, as Single people. But when we're put next to each other, we make up this building called the church. has nothing to do with pictures on walls. has nothing to do with the walls themselves. It's the people inside that make up the church. That's what the building is. It's not the physical building. It's a spiritual building. And it's still being built. And once that last brick goes into place, Jesus will come back to take His church because that building is complete. But we're still waiting for that. People are still being added to that building. People are still being added to make up that church. Now, how did it all start? Now we understand what it is and how this looks at. How did it all start? (coughs) We've heard about God's eternal plan. And we know that that's what He wanted from the start. But it wasn't possible until Jesus had died and risen again. And once that had happened, in Matthew 28, 18-20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Once salvation was possible through Jesus Christ, after He had died and risen again, He tells His disciples, basically, go and tell everyone that it's possible now. But they didn't do that until something else happened, which is the day of Pentecost. I don't have the, uh, the verses up, but I'll, you know the story, and I'll just recap it for you when the disciples were all gathered into this little upper room, and they were praying, and they'd been praying for 50 days. And then God sent the promise, which was the Helper, which was the Holy Spirit, to each of them, to dwell in them. And once they received the Holy Spirit, they went out with boldness. Peter goes out, stands on the porch, it's 9am in the morning, 9am, of course it's the morning, it's 9 in the morning, Peter stands there and there are people who are gathered and who hear them speaking in different languages and they're like, these guys are nuts. Peter stands up and he says, no, these guys aren't nuts. And then he begins to explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, who just, Jesus that they just crucified was, and what that means. And he tells them to repent and to come to Christ. And he does it boldly. This same Peter who a couple of days ago was following Jesus at a distance and saying, I don't know him, I don't know him. What do you mean I'm following Jesus? I same one tells 3,000 people in one hit, get to know Jesus Christ. And those 3,000 come to know Jesus Christ in one hit. And that is the first meeting, really, that takes place. And it was a pretty big one. It's probably even than crossway of 3,000 people in one of... Anyway, instantly 3,000 come to Christ. And that's how the church begins. And that's where the verse that Dave quoted earlier, And God was adding to them those who were being saved, adding to their number those who were being saved. God was blessing it and saying, and you see, what the church is, it's alive. A body is alive. A body grows, right? How the church grows is actually the same way, but slightly differently. You get to know about Christ. Somebody tells you about Jesus. And then you come to know Christ for yourself. And then you're like, this is unbelievable. You go out and you tell other people about Jesus and they're like, this is unbelievable. And they go out and they do the same thing to others. And it gets spread and spread and spread. So wherever somebody knows about Christ, somebody else has the chance to know about Christ. But we don't always do that, do we? We Sometimes we like to keep it to ourselves. The church grows the same way. We're there to spread. Go and tell everyone, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Which leads us perfectly into our next point. So that's how it started, right? Which leads us into our next point. Our next point, it's like the first time I have proper notes ever, which is fantastic. So, why does it exist? And we just touched on that. Why does it exist? There are two reasons. The first one, well, there are like a billion, but there are two important ones that you need to know. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says this, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. That was 1 Corinthians 14.26. The, the, the bit at the end is, is really important, right? It's saying about the different things that we do inside the church. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Building up who? People inside the church. The people in the church, rather. The body of Christ. Why do you eat? To nourish your body, to grow, to remain healthy. We come together for the same thing. Whenever God see, God gives different people in the meeting different things. Somebody is picking the songs. Somebody has chosen the songs. Led by God. Somebody is speaking. Led by God. Somebody takes a devotion. Led by God. Somebody comes up to you at the end of the meeting and says, How are you doing this week? Led by God. Somebody is praying for you. Led by God. You see, we're all coming together to build each other up. To build up the body of Christ, to be built up in Christ and through Christ and by Christ. That's the internal component to the church. That's why we come for nourishment. As a like-minded group of people, we come for and we'll expand on that. But the second reason is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. It says this But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's your second job. First, yes, you're nourished, you make sure that you're fed, you're not dying. Great, you're healthy, you're alive. Now you go out and you tell people about the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's our job. To go out into the world and to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see the words that are used there, excellencies, not greatness, not goodness, excellencies. And not just from the darkness into the light, of His marvelous light. You see how Paul is looking at it, he has actually experienced what these words are saying. He knows what it feels like to be called out of Intense darkness into marvelous light. And that's why he doesn't stop telling people, hey, come to know Jesus because He can bring you out into marvelous light. That's what we're supposed to be doing as the church because we're not we are the church everywhere we go, not just in this building. Do you understand that? So we don't have to wait for somebody to walk into this building to tell them about Jesus. We are the church, we tell them about Jesus wherever we go. And we nourish and encourage each other wherever we are and wherever we go. I don't need to wait for Friday night to call up Dave and say, Hey Dave, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. We don't need to do that. But it's fantastic that we have a structured time. And we're supposed to, by the way, have a structured time to meet together. And I'll prove that to you from God's Word in a second. We are supposed to meet together. (coughs) So, two reasons. Nourishment our own building up and edification, and the other is outward. One is inward and the other is outward, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out into his marvelous light. Now, why should you be a part? Listen to this. This is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Definitely, not I've ever about the church. It's this one coming up now. Acts 4:32 says this, all the believers, this is describing what the early, what the church at the start when it began, what it was actually supposed to be like, this is describing what it was like. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were the, was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no one, no person who needed among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This here is a proper family. If the amount of love in this passage is unbelievable. All the believers, not some of the believers, not those from this church and those from this, all of them, whenever they met, whenever they saw each other, all of them were one. In thought, in action, in passion, in goal, in everything they were one. Even to the point where they were like, well, I have a house, but somebody else doesn't. I'm going to sell my house, or I'm going to get a smaller house, or whatever, or I'm going to bring them into my house. Nothing was mine anymore. We're a family. You see, in, in my house, if I go to the pantry, I don't say, this one's mine, you can't have that. No, that's the food in the house, and the air, the, everything that's in the house belongs to every member in the house. And that's the house of God. Every member in that house has the right to partake of the things in that house. Don't hoard the things that God has given you and say they are mine. Don't do that. God gave them to you out of grace. Share that grace with everybody else. In in the intangible things, with your time, with your prayer, with your emotions, with whatever. But in the tangible things too, with your money and with your resources... If you want to give somebody a lift, things like things that are tangible, do them too. Don't love in word, love in word and in deed. Do both. That's what we're supposed to do. Is the body of Christ. Why should you be a part of it? Because it's awesome. Is my like you know, I'll articulate better reasons, but seriously, this is awesome. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? This is a real family with real bonds that don't. We all need love. We all need encouragement, and we all need to be around like-minded people. As a Christian, and this is an analogy moved, we're, about, we're going to finish up very soon, <coughs> so just bear with me. As a Christian, I think of yourself as a coal again. This has been used before, and as a fire. And the fire is where all the other Christians are, right? Like all the little coals are next to each other and there's a fire around them. And one coal gets hot and the hot coal keeps the other one hot. And then they all keep each other hot and then the fire keeps burning, right? You take one coal out of the fire and it will stay hot for a little while. And then it will go cold. Because it's not in contact with the rest of the fire. You see what happens is when we come to church, when we meet together that fire is reignited. Our vision is realigned. So many times, I walk out of church on Sunday, right? And I'll be like, man, this is great. I love and then by Monday night, even Monday morning, my mind is somewhere completely different. We need that realignment. We need that refocusing. We need that nourishment again. And that comes from meeting together. There's a verse that says let us not forsake the meeting, meeting with one another or meeting together, as is the manner of some. Some people are doing this but you're not supposed to do it. Especially as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The rapture. Especially as you see the end of time coming. Don't make the silly mistake of stopping to meet together. Don't make the mistake of going it alone. You were not meant to go it alone. You were meant to be in a relationship with God. And you were meant to be in a relationship with people. And that's what church is. A family. Don't just go rogue and leave your family. Stay with your family. So why should you be a part of it? Because as a Christian, you need that fellowship. We all need that fellowship. And I remember in, the, in a prayer meeting with four of my very, very close friends, with my brother's, we would come to the, we would come to this, we had, this was our own prayer meeting, and every week, one of us would come with a problem. One of us would, and they were big problems, like, you know, one of us would have had a car accident, one of us would have lost his job, one of us would have come out of a relationship, or something, like big stuff. Most weeks, something was wrong, most weeks. And you see what would happen is, when that one person who was going through the problem, problem, was going. Was in the middle of it, they lost their focus. You see, they, they know the promises of Christ. They know everything. They, But in the difficult time, you lose a little bit of your focus and because you're going through a really emotional time, you forget. But you see, what would happen is once that one person walked in and told us what it was, the three who had clear vision, who still knew, who could see clearly the promises of God because they weren't, distorted emotionally by anything that was going on around them, they would pick up the one who was down. And they would remind him. And they would set him back up. They would pray with him. And he would walk out very differently from the way he walked in. And that's how we function every single week. That's how the church as a whole functions. Is supposed to function every single week. Every single time we meet. And outside of meeting hours, that's how it's supposed to be. We all need that. We all need that. That's why you need to be a part of it. Because it's what God died, what Jesus Christ died to make. This family, be a part of it, enjoy it. Get into it. And be a part of it in a a ministering capacity as well. Don't just spectate it. In a real family, everyone carries a little bit of the load. Share the load and carry the load, and encourage others as well. So you can imagine, and I haven't spoken about this, but you can imagine how hurtful it would be to God when we, as the church, tear each other down from the inside. After everything I've just told you about, how wonderful it is, and what a blessing it is. How would He feel about that? Embrace. Don't let that happen. Don't be a part of the politics that goes on in the background. Don't be a part of the backstabbing. Don't be a part of the negative talk. Don't be a part of putting each other down. Don't be a part of pointing fingers. Don't be a part of judgment. Be the loving body of Christ. Be the loving bride that you were supposed to be. Now, finally, there's one that isn't in my notes, which you all know already, but I'll mention it anyway. How do I become a part? by getting to know Jesus by saying Lord I want to be a part of the family I know that to be a part of this family I need to be perfect in your eyes and I can't do that I'm messed up but I'm coming to you on the basis of what you said you said that I paid it for you I paid that debt that you have for you so please accept me based on what you've done thank you thank you that you've accepted me into your family That's how you become a part of God's family. If you haven't, can not stress enough that you should. Because this is amazing. And no amount of me describing it to you will bring that alive to you. You need to experience it for yourself. So there's a lot more to be said about the church and things in the church and things outside of the church and it's history and we should... Definitely speak about it again from a different point of view. But I feel that this is at least laying a bit of the groundwork. And I hope that it encourages you and I hope that you get something out of it. But let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your eternal plan, Lord, to adopt us as your children, Lord. And to make us into a family, Lord. A whole family. Thank you so much. You love us, Lord. And you want to be in a relationship with us, Lord. And you want to show us amazing things, Lord. Through each other and through you, Lord. And I pray that you would give each of us an understanding of this amazing thing that you have done so much to achieve, Lord. That you've died for, Lord. This bride of yours. I pray that we can all be an active part of it, Lord. That we would all appreciate the relationship we have with you for what it really is, Lord relationship that we have with each other, that we are a family that belongs to you, Lord, wherever we are in the world and whatever language and nation we are, Lord, we're your family and we are one family. Please bless your church, please lead us, Lord, and remind us that you are head and help us to walk with you, Lord, and to share the excellencies of you, Lord, the one who called us into your marvelous life, in your precious name.